So Money episode 903, Luann Alexander, Group President of Payment Solutions at Early Warning. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I wouldn't have a dollar to my name if it weren't for my father. Um, my father grew up in a very humble environment, always was a saver, uh, never really bought things that he didn't have the money in his pocket to pay for. How do you send money to friends, family, and everybody else? The odds are you're no longer putting a check in the mail, right? When was the last time you even used a check? Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. You know, a lot of us are venturing over to person-to-person payment services or peer-to-peer payment services. And our guest today is at the forefront of this technology. Luann Alexander is the group president of Payment Solutions for Early Warning, which led the launch of Zelle. A lot of us use Zelle, right? It's the financial services industry's first real-time payments network. Zelle was also the presenting partner at Stacks House in Los Angeles, which is the financial empowerment pop-up museum that I co-launched with two other female entrepreneurs. Luann has spent the last few years on the road promoting Zelle to banking executives who weren't always so eager to embrace change, but she's done it successfully with $39 billion sent through Zelle in just the first quarter of this year. Luann is a banking veteran, and as you just heard, has a touching story about how she learned about money growing up. Looking forward to this conversation. Here is Luann Alexander. Luann Alexander, welcome to So Money. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful to have you on the show. I think this is going to be really insightful for all of us listening to learn a little bit more about how you know the payments industry works. Our Often our financial transactions are done on, on our phones these days, our you know, websites, everything is tech driven. And I think, you know, given your experience, your position at early warning, um, heading up Zelle, it's really uh, helpful to kind of hear more about the behind the scenes and the evolution of payment services, but also, I think it's important to just also say thank you, first and foremost, for your partnership. I uh, know that my listeners have been following me, talking all about Stacks House, and as our presenting partner, uh, it meant so much to us to have you uh, as our partner um, for many reasons. What we'll learn as we speak is just how female-friendly early warning is and how important um, female financial literacy is to you. I've talked to many of your your colleagues at Early Warning, and I just we feel a real kindred spirit um, in working with you. And we couldn't have done our first activation in LA without you. So thank you. No, thank you guys. It's been a wonderful opportunity for us, not only to get uh, the Zelle name out, but hopefully to help in uh, women women learning more about money and taking more control of their financial lives, which is very important to us at Early Warning. In a very short period of time, we have now arrived at a marketplace where there are just uh, a number of solutions for paying bills and exchanging money 
online and particularly now via our phone, our mobile apps. You are group president of payment solutions at Early Warning and Zelle is your peer, your peer-to-peer payment app. I want to know how does Zelle try to differentiate in the marketplace? Yeah, I think there's a couple of different ways that Zelle has been successful. And and frankly, when we launched the product, we knew for a lot of generations we needed not only to launch Zelle, but to also uh, teach individuals what a person-to-person payment product was and how it could make a difference in their lives. So much about Zelle was bringing P2P person-to-person services from the millennial generation who are very accustomed to using the products into the mainstream where now we have a lot of baby boomers that are using it. Mm -hmm. But in order to reach um, those upper generations, which, by the way, I'm part of, um, but in order to make them more comfortable and secure with mobile payments, uh, first and foremost is we we hear from our, our customers that the number one reason that they Uh, have tried P2P in the recent past is because it was offered through their financial institution. It's already in the financial app that they use. They know who to call if there is a problem um, and money moves right from checking account to checking account. So there's no additional steps that they have to go through to cash out. So certainly I would say that's Benzel's competitive advantage in the marketplace. Right. It's sort of this inherent system of trust that you've built where I think probably the biggest barrier often for people, especially you talk about baby boomers, the older generation that maybe isn't so native um, with technology, is this fear of security and data breach and all of that. But maybe working within the systems that you're already comfortable with, the financial institutions you're already using, that is your way of sort of differentiating and, and really growing fast. Absolutely. Um, and we do know, you know, over 70 percent of those who have tried said that uh, it being offered through their financial institution was a good reason for them to try it. Mm-hmm. But yes, getting over that hump of that. Is it safe? Is it secure? You know, what's going to happen if I have an issue? All of those things with your financial institution offering the service is certainly you know, one of the things that has propelled Zelle forward. When peer-to-peer services, payment services first arrived on the market, even to, you know, to some extent, just when we got the first opportunity to say, you know, do mobile banking, it was considered a convenience, a nice to have feature. But now I've read, uh, that, you know, in articles where, um, for example, Forbes, where you're recently interviewed, you're talking about not just this being something that is convenient, but life-saving, actually. These days, having the ability to access your money in an efficient, easy, on-the-go way can save lives? You know, I think um, in the in the beginning, I think what uh, really rallied our company around Zelle were some of the stories about how monies when there when monies are delayed what happens and we like to say when money moves life happens so um so oftentimes i'll read in social media hey had a flat tire today thank you zell you saved my life mm-hmm. um we have uh, Red Cross using Zelle to disperse emergency funds uh, to individuals who are victims of all of these recent storms. So if you might imagine having to look at the place that your house used to be or leaving your home with no food or wet clothes on your back, 
having that ability to get just a few hundred dollars of emergency funds is absolutely critical. Um, we have other corporations like insurance companies who are dispersing uh, monies for home claims or car claims. Again, think about you know the individual who, if they don't work, they don't get paid, they've lost use of their car through an accident or a wreck, and having those funds dispersed immediately into their checking account um, being that lifesaver. And just every day, you know, day to day, friends and family coming to our rescue, helping us out when there's an emergency cash that's needed, you know, due to an illness, due to a loss of job. Um, so, yeah, certainly these are the kinds of things that, you know, rallied our company behind it. It's not just a convenience. In many cases, it is a lifesaver. And just to put things in perspective for listeners who are wondering just how, uh how popular this service is in just the first quarter of this year, Zelle um, experienced $39 billion in money sent and 147 million transactions. That's, that's massive. That's right. Uh, in fact, uh, we have over 94 million uh, what we call social aliases, emails and cell phones registered in our directory today. So we're certainly growing in the number, not just dollars and transactions, but also the number of individuals who are choosing to use Zell. I wonder what is the challenge, the biggest challenge of getting all the financial institutions that you work with on the same page and agreeing to this one tool that they're all going to share in. Um, what, what have been some of the, you know, the challenges or hurdles with that? I'm sure because every bank has its own look and feel and way that it likes to communicate. And so that's been, that's been, I would imagine something to really go back and forth with and work a lot on. Yeah. And, you know, what I would say is, you know, person to person uh, payment transactions through your financial institution uh, really aren't aren't new, right? We've we've seen these since the early 2000s embedded into banking products, and we've even had the capability for those transactions to flow financial institution to financial institution. But the reason that consumer adoption truly wasn't there was because exactly what you said. They were all called something different. It wasn't apparent to consumers that they could send money to somebody else that didn't bank at their same bank. Um, the user experiences were all different, so it was it was difficult for an individual who liked the product to send money to a friend and then help that friend through the enrollment process at their own financial institution. So given the launch of Zelle, which, by the way, we're all coming up on our two-year anniversary in just another week, um, but with the launch of Zelle, that common branding, the common messaging, that common user experience across financial institutions, we've seen, you know, transaction uh, numbers go up in some financial institutions by a factor of 10. Hmm. So even even though they had a product prior, um, you know, the barriers to adoption uh, were surrounding customers' perception of the product and what it could do. Luann, where do you think we're going to be in 10 years as far as a new unforeseen frontier that is going to be second nature? Like we didn't actually probably foresee payments mobile payments and P2P becoming such a um, ubiquitous uh, way of managing your money in 2019, maybe 10 years ago, or even just 
even five years ago. So uh, as you are you know, behind the scenes and also at the forefront of financial services, where do you think inspire us? Where do you think we could go? What's the potential given all the technological advances with AI and, and, so, and so on? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think um, one, you know, it's a world that we're creating um, and, and we're one of the factors in the marketplace today. But, you know, there certainly is all of the things that you have mentioned around technology advances, uh, consumer willingness to use technology for uh, additional, more critical uh, transaction levels. Um, but I, I would say from our perspective, P2P was just the start um, we've extended Zelle as we were discussing earlier into corporate disbursements and large dollar transactions being moved over Zelle. So again, think about that home claim, car claim. Those are significant amounts of money. Um, we're extending into small business. So think about who you still have to write a check to. And, and sometimes that's, you know, your maid service, your pool service, your painting contractor, but have giving them the ability uh, many of those businesses who run, you know, in the red from a cash flow perspective and getting their monies quickly is vitally important to even them making payroll. Um, and then beyond small business, thinking about extending um, real-time payments into a bill pay perspective, uh, the products that we use in the marketplace today, um, and I can attest because I was part of some of the earlier launches, they're 30 years old. Uh, and they're not being widely adopted by some of the younger generations. So being able to morph that online bill pay product into something that's more similar to what you experience with Zelle P2P, it's just a corporate reaching out for a request for payment, and you're being able to respond to that immediately and be having it off of your list or having it scheduled for a later pay date. Um, so to me, I think the sky's the limit. I think that um, this real-time payment world will evolve into all use cases that we experience today. Wow. Well, lots of work ahead, but taking a really big step back and maybe exploring some of your steps to where you are today, how did you arrive in the, with, to the financial services industry? Did you always have a curiosity and interest in this world? Um, what's your background? Well, um, now I guess I fell into this world. Um, you know, by, by education, I'm a computer scientist. Uh, and I did spend the first 10 years of my career as a technologist, but uh, within a financial institution, believe it or not. And it, it wasn't that I planned uh, that at all. I, I just happened to get my first job at, at a financial institution. And every time I looked for advancement, it was like 200 companies under one roof. Um, and had a great career. So first 10 years in technology, then I moved to retail banking, uh, where I was in the beginning of online banking, bill pay, and online brokerage. Um, and then uh, spent a lot of time thinking about payment strategy and how payments were going to change in the future. And then uh, ended my financial institution career in the corporate side of financial institutions, helping corporate with payments. So I've always had a passion for that. Um, you know, with early warning, my focus has been more around fraud and risk management. And I would say that's absolutely what enables us to do real-time payments today is that real-time fraud interdiction. Uh, I always like to say 
moving money fast is easy. It's moving money for the right person uh, that's hard uh, and making sure that you know who's on the other end of that transaction. So that, that's kind of my background, technology, retail, wholesale banking, and fraud and risk management, which has all culminated in my ability to uh, hopefully make a little bit of a difference with the launch of Zelle. Yeah, and just going back also to the... The, the, the team that you work on, you know, so uh, female driven, I think that's unfortunately unique. Um, in 2019, I think we're making more moves towards that sort of inclusiveness and diversity. But um, this is also your kind of first experience on such a largely female led team. How has that been? And, and how do you think it's been different yeah, you know, uh, seven of the 11 executives that are responsible for the launch of Zelle um, were women and actually continue to be women on our team. Um, you know, I think from a, a consumer product perspective, you know, I believe that uh, the female insight into, um, you know, how things might be perceived in the marketplace, the care that we need to have for our consumers um, absolutely is unmatched. Now, we have women in some really, really difficult operational jobs. Our general counsel is female as well. Um, our head of, um, of marketing is fem- female. Um, the governance process and dealing with all those financial institutions and whether they're complying with the rules is also led by a woman. So we certainly have women in very, very strong positions and command control that we need in order to protect the Zelle brand, um, but also that you know, human experience factor, I think, has been one of the most significant benefits by having such a significant female leadership team. All right, let's talk a little bit more about your personal financial experiences. And so starting maybe back to childhood, we all like to share a money memory from growing up. And do you have an experience or something you witnessed or a piece of advice you got when you were younger that has stayed with you that has actually impacted your financial moves? I would tell you, I have to credit my father. Um, I would say I wouldn't have a dollar to my name if it weren't for my father. Um, My father grew up in very humble environment, always was a saver, uh, never really bought things that he didn't have the money in his pocket to pay for. Um, and I get tested every time I think about one of those, you know, big buys I want to do because my father's voice is sitting on my shoulder. <laughs> Can I really afford this? Uh, but certainly I think my um, financial savings have been really influenced by growing up in my father's household. Is there a specific piece of advice that he gave you or an experience maybe that goes along with that? Well, I would say save all you can. Um, You know, from my very earliest stages in my career, um, one, I was very fortunate to uh, work in a company that provided a 401k and matching and, um, you know, have contributed my entire career you know, to the maximum that I could, particularly to get uh, those additional matched funds. But definitely savings um, being that, you know, kind of one mantra that I would say has guided me in my financial life. And so 
when you first were in the real world on your own, what was the first big money mistake that you made? And then what's a money win that you're really proud of? We call it the so money moment on the show. All right. So my so money moment was um, just shortly after college at the age of 24, I was able as a a female professional uh, single uh, to purchase my first home. So that was my so money win was uh, I have been a homeowner since I was 24 years old. And again, that comes a lot from the influence my father had. Um, and I did that totally on my own as an you know, independent professional woman with nobody else's help. And what were your peers doing at that time? Were you, because even today, that's pretty unique to be in that age group as a female too, buying a home. Although I will say that young women are um, buying homes at a faster clip than young men. Uh, But, you know, at your, um, at that stage when at your age, you know, I'm not sure how old you are today, but, you know, you said you were a baby boomer. So going back in time, was that pretty exceptional? Yeah, it sure was, particularly for, um, you know, a single female at that point in time uh, to be a first time home buyer at that age. It absolutely was. You know, my friends were uh, generally renting um, at that point in time and in their careers. And how about your failure? What was the biggest mistake or regret that you have? Um, I, I think I have a couple of those. <laughs> um, you know, one, one was that, um, you know, my father's voice wasn't loud enough when I bought that uh, extremely um, high-priced pair of Louis Vuittons out of a Las Vegas shoe store. Um, but, oh, my uh, gosh. I, I did the same thing <laughs> once. I, yeah, I know. I, know, I like, think I know which store you're talking about. Um, it's in the Venetian. I, I will never tell my father what I paid for those shoes because he will it it will end his life. I believe it's but, all but, the air no. conditioning. It's all it's all the like music and the and the blasts of cold. You, you got to shop. There's nothing left to do. Uh, but no, I think my biggest um, my d- biggest failure and the advice that I would give um, you know to others who are who are saving in a number of different ways, and some of those may be in your own company stock. But I certainly, at one point in my career, had way too much of my portfolio invested in my company stock. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a loyalist, I'm a believer, and it cost me very, very, very dearly. Um, so one, I would say, you know, when you do amass enough wealth to have an investment portfolio, uh, definitely get good advice um, in diversifying that portfolio, because I certainly uh, took a big, big, big step backwards uh, at that point in my career. Yeah, we've heard this on the show before, and many people had that same unfortunate experience as you did, a lot of them during the recession, the recent recession. And I remember that was a big kind of news story back then because, you know, whether you worked at Lehman Brothers or Bear Stearns that, and you had, you know, 30, 40% of your portfolio in your company stock, that was a, that was tough. And so the rule of thumb, I think just for anyone listening, if you do have stock options or company stock to buy, um, I think it's worth it, but you know, no more than 10% of your overall diversified portfolio. It's just, it's just too much. Even Sally Krawcheck was on this podcast recently and said that she, uh, that's that was one of her biggest mistakes was being too tethered to the company from a stock yep. perspective. Yeah. 
All right. Now, uh, habits, your number one money habit. And you can't say using Zelle because we know that's obviously your top <laughs> habit is, you know, uh, making your payments super simple and easy using Zelle. But what are some other things that you might do that you would recommend others uh, participate in because it does help you either make better money decisions or just makes your financial life more convenient? You know, I I think for my husband and I, we've always had a financial plan and goal set. Um, You know, obviously, as an individual, my first goal was save enough money to buy my first house. Um, But but, you know, as a married couple, my husband and I certainly still set those financial goals. We understand what it takes to get there. We sit down very regularly with a financial advisor, uh, get that advice and ensure that we're on track for those goals. And we are active in the management of our portfolio, um, at least the decisions made around that portfolio and how those funds are invested. So um, I know a large percentage of women um, you know, will, will say that they want to be more actively involved. There's no reason that you can't be. Um, you know, I'm not uh, an expert in portfolio management. Obviously, I look to some professionals for that help, but I do want to sit down and get actively get engaged in how those monies are invested, um, what each of those investments are returning for us, and whether they're helping us meet our next financial goal. And uh, for me, my next financial goal is retirement, um, but my husband and I certainly take the time to sit down with a financial advisor on a very regular basis. And so I'm curious, as far as retirement planning goes, how often do you visit this this uh, goal, right? So I'm sure over the years, your, your ideas and ideals around retirement may have evolved or shifted or maybe stayed the same. But for those of us listening, how important is it to touch base on this and how regularly? Yeah, we do it. Uh, we do it no less than quarterly. Um, we have meetings with our financial advisor and go through the last quarter's performance. What worked well? What didn't? Do we want to move our investments into additional or different types of funds? We also reassess um, what our spending expectations are. So, are there new things that are you know causing? financial stresses in our lives? Are there new things that uh, we want to put into our financial plan? Um, So, you know, think of things like, um, you know, uh, my daughter's wedding, uh, for instance, is part of my financial plan. Vacations that we want to take are part of our financial plan. Um, You know, the home that we are living in is part of our financial plan. But some of those things change over time. So it's, uh, it's very important to take stock in that, uh, always to to look at other things such as the use of trust, um, your will and and expectations around your departure as well, just to make sure your family is well taken care of. So again, we do those checkups at at my age. We do that on a quarterly basis, but certainly, um, you know, based on where you are in your life and planning cycle, we would probably suggest how frequently you want to do that. All right, Luann, are you ready for some so money fill in the blanks before we wrap? Sure, I'll All try. Right. You've been you've been such a you've been so great. I I've I really have enjoyed enjoying this conversation. And this is just an opportunity to kind of like, you know, uh, not take it too seriously. Just first thing that comes to mind. Okay, if I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is retire and spend time with my grandkids. Ah. Oh. 
retire early. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I use my money to make my life easier or better, I like to buy blank. Oh, usually the services of other people that make my life easier, like, you know, <laughs> cleaning my house and my window. Yes. <laughs> I have, this is the number one answer I get is as housekeeping, especially from women, because let's be honest. I mean, we value that more than any other gender because it's often been our territory and we don't want to do it. Um, That's right. And I, I'm sitting here talking to you in a home that was just cleaned professionally and it is <laughs> everything. It just makes me calm and I feel like I can be more productive when I have when I know where things are and things look clean. Me too. It's worth every penny. Okay. When I donate, I like to give to blank because um the Red Cross is one of our top areas of donation. Um we also give to um the ALS fund um and have had unfortunately uh, friends and family who've been impacted by that. And then finally, more on the fun side is theater. Uh, we absolutely love theater, have multiple season tickets to theater in the Phoenix area. That's awesome. I love uh, I love going to theater. <laughs> I love being in the theater. I did that one a lot when I was in high school and college. And then last but not least, I'm Luann Alexander. I'm so money because... Boy, I'm an independent professional woman that uh, could retire if I wanted to right now, but I'm having so much fun with Zell that there's no way I'm retiring anytime soon. Well, we thank you. And uh, we really appreciate the mentorship that we had on just these 30 minutes. I mean, you're uh, incredibly inspirational. Um, we're so happy to, to have you in the financial services industry as a strong, independent woman. And again, thank you for the partnership with Stacks House and wishing you and your family a wonderful summer. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much to Luann for joining us. If you'd like to share this episode or download the transcript, just head over to somoneypodcast.com. And there you can also click on Ask Farnoosh and send me a question for our Friday episodes. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Happy Monday. And I hope your day is so money. Money.